Good morning. Where is God in this crisis? It's a question many are asking. Some may ask another. Is he there at all? As believers in God who came to be with us and live with us in the person Jesus Christ, these are questions which, if asked, we have to be able to give a response to. Such a response requires biblical wisdom and understanding. It requires prayerful searching and reflection. It requires pastoral sensitivity and caution. If we're going to navigate the slippy, difficult and often treacherous terrain that lies ahead with banana skins to avoid, not to mention the, the difficulty of perhaps reopening past hurts and widening present hurts, never mind new wounds that might be opened from tackling such a subject. In similar turbulent times as we've seen in this series of the Old Testament prophets it led the Jewish nation to ask where is God in their crisis? Where is God when they find themselves facing the biggest disaster of their lives being enslaved in exile in Babylon? It's difficult, almost impossible for us to grasp what exile must have looked like although perhaps now we might have a few more insights because exile was something that the Israelites never ever believed was possible. They never believed it could happen to them. It redefined their reality of normal. The conclusion of all the prophets who lived during and post the exile was that the reason that the Israelites were in exile when the reason for their suffering was because of God's justice at their repeated injustices of not living out the covenant that had been cut between God and Moses on Mount Sinai. Perhaps the prophet Daniel said it best in his prayer, we have sinned and acted wickedly, turning aside from your commandments. Open shame falls on us because we have sinned. All of us have transgressed your law. These injustices were twofold. Their practices of idolatry and not loving God in their worship and turning instead to false gods. And their practice of exploiting the vulnerable and the marginalised. I find though when reading the Bible, including the Old Testament, when the word justice is used of God, there are two other words closely circulating by. Those two words are grace and mercy. Tucked away towards the middle of the book of the prophet Isaiah is a verse that perhaps says it best in these words. Therefore the Lord waits or longs to be gracious to you. Therefore he will rise up to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait or who long for him. We'll come back to grace and mercy later. But for now, let's understand what God's justice means. The Hebrew word that we translate justice is used over 200 times in the Old Testament. And its most basic meaning is to treat people equitably. It's actually one of the two words used most often for God and his attitude to the world. What it means, therefore, in terms of God's character is justice means that in treating people equitably, God has the ability to make the right decision at the right time. 
In terms of his attitude to the world, justice refers to the absolute fairness of God in his dealings with the world, meaning that God will always act justly to give people what is their due or their right. What that could mean, of course, is it could mean punishment of wrongdoing, hence exile. But equally, it could also mean God's justice in giving people what they're due in terms of his protection and his care, especially his championing of the vulnerable. God's desire was for the people of God to be a community of justice because through it, it was one of the two ways in which the nation Israel could reveal God's glory and his character to the world. As the prophet Zechariah wrote, administer true justice, show mercy and compassion to one another. Yet it was precisely because the Israelites weren't a community of justice that they found themselves existing in slavery, in exile. Where is God in this crisis? To the Israelites at the time of the prophets, they were in exile because of the hand of God's justice at their injustice. But what of today? And the crisis facing our world, is it as straightforward to suggest it's a cause effect chain scenario? Here's why I can't subscribe to such a belief, not least because such a belief has more in common with a belief in pantheism, such as we see worked out in the practices of Hinduism and Buddhism and their need to work off their karma from their sins in a previous life. Never mind, of course, the unnecessary hurt we can cause in suggest from such a suggestion. There is a wider biblical narrative than just the Old Testament prophets who ask, where is God in this crisis? It has at least three parts. Firstly, there is the rest of the Old Testament to consider, because on at least three other occasions, the question of where is God in their particular crisis arises. It had been asked previously by the Israelites during an earlier huge crisis, namely the Exodus, where they find themselves enslaved in Egypt for 430 years. The reason that they found themselves there had nothing to do with God's justice. It was because of fear. A fear that the Egyptians had at the sheer number of Israelites who were now living in their land at first as refugees and how powerful they'd become. Then there is the man Job to consider, who asks the question, where is God in my crisis? Job is the man who in the Old Testament suffered more than any other. And if we know the story, we'll know it's, it's Job's so-called three friends who become his three accusers, who lay the charge that he's suffering, the cause effect result of his sin. Yet the whole book is a protest against such an idea. And in the end, it's God himself who declares to his three accusers how this is not the case and that Job's suffering is a result of natural and moral evil. And then there are the repeated laments of the Psalms, some of which that were written during the exile, but many weren't. And they too ask that question, where are you, God, in this crisis? One of those psalms was Psalm 73, 
And it asks, well, if life is so cause and effect, how can it be that the wicked are flourishing and the righteous are being crushed under their feet? And we read it's only when the psalmist enters the presence of God, he begins to see a deeper reality. And this whole question of cause and effect, though, there's not just the Old Testament to consider. There's also the words of Jesus himself. On at least three occasions, Jesus explicitly denied suffering was necessarily connected with personal wrongdoing. You can read about these accounts of a group of Jewish men who were murdered by Pilate and a different group who of Jews who died as a result of a tower falling upon them or the question of the man born blind, which we can read about in the Gospels of Jesus's life, according to Luke and John, respectively. And then thirdly, and most importantly of all, there is a bigger event in the whole biblical story than both the Exodus and the exile. And it's through these events that we interpret not just the biblical story, but all of history. These events which had connotations back to those two Old Testament events of Exodus and exile is the Easter story and Jesus's death and resurrection. Earlier I mentioned throughout the Bible when God's justice is mentioned, two other words are never far away. Those two words are grace and mercy. I also said earlier that in the Old Testament, justice is one of the two words used most frequently for God and his attitude to the world. The other is the Hebrew word, which is actually translated into English in two words. These words, steadfast love. Steadfast love actually means God's unconditional grace and mercy. Do you see the link? Or put another way, God's unfailing love and care for his people. This is why despite exile, the prophets most famously, Jeremiah prophesied of a return to Jerusalem 70 years later. The key theme as we heard in Daniel's prayer as he prays for restoration is for God's steadfast love to be seen in his forgiveness for the sins of his people. In the same way, at the heart of the cross is where God's justice and God's steadfast love meet. As a new covenant is cut through Jesus' death, as the most famous verse in the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son to die for us. In this new covenant, so vividly portrayed by Isaiah the prophet and which the New Testament writers pick up on, it is Jesus by his sinlessness who satisfies once and for all the death sentence of the original protovirus which had destroyed all the previous versions of the covenant, namely the disease of idolatry and injustice. It's this virus which still today we all carry and which has infected the whole human race and, take, and which has taken us into exile from God. As Isaiah writes, he has carried our diseases. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole. And by his wounds, we are healed. Isaiah writes more, but I think we get the point of God's justice 
and his love being met at the cross. The cross is the place where all the world's sufferings and horrors have been heaped up and dealt with. But this is only half the Easter story. For it's through the resurrection we see the launch of God's new creation, of his sovereign saving rule on earth, which begins with the physical body of Jesus himself. In the abridged words of Bishop Tom Wright, trying to come to a conclusion of where is God in this pandemic crisis without going through the Easter story, is to make the basic theological mistake of trying to deduce something about God while going behind Jesus' back. The Easter story reminds us God is not indifferent or ambivalent or unaffected by our suffering. He feels it and is with us through it because he's felt it before himself and he still feels it now. And it's because where he has been these past six months. On the front line always. With the helpless and breathless. With the suffering and the dying with the carer and the cleaner, to bring healing and hope, we turn our eyes to Jesus. As we do, he will remain in those places. But as we look on, we will also see him somewhere else. He will be in our living rooms, seeking us out to be his partners in bringing and being the people of the resurrection covenant who act to continue to bring in his new creation. What specifically this looks like we'll explore next week as we conclude our series, Understanding the Old Testament Prophets. Shall we pray together? Once again, as we pray, we might want to open our hands towards God to just receive everything that he wants to give us this morning. O Lord of hosts, who came to be with us and who is never far from us, Draw us nearer to you in our daily living. Continue to heal us of idolatry and injustice and empower us in our witness. In the name of Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection.